you try to still be their boss and then you have high friction. Um, you try to be a best friend and that might work for a while, but it, it really confuses things because the whole developmental window of that time is to learn how to have good peer relationships. Um, and I also see parents in the trap of withdrawal where they're just saying, okay, you, you feel like you're wanting your independence. So, all right, you're on your own now. And that's really a mistake too, because they still need us. Um, they just need us in different ways. So the idea of the guide is you know, imagine you're going on a you know, two week trek in the wilderness, make the job description. You know, who would you want with you? What would their personality be like? And then give that to yourself. <laughs> there is your job description. You know, the guide still has authority. The guide has more experience, but the guide recognizes they're not there to direct every moment. They're going to only mention a danger if it's really present. Um, they're going to point out some things that they're in awe of. That's who we're called to be, I think. Middle school. Even saying this phrase can immediately bring up memories of awkwardness for many people. But it's also a formative time of life that gives us space to develop our relational skills and shape who we are. As we learn in our conversation with Chris Baum, there are new possibilities when we shift our perspective to view this as an opportunity to build into young people. This can radically change our perspective about this time and equip us as adults to be better guides for this foundational moment in life. Chris is an education leader, writer, and school founder passionate about helping young people discover more of their human potential. As co-founder and head of school at Millennium School, a lab school in San Francisco, Chris helped pioneer new learning methods for middle schoolers based in developmental science. Chris then founded Argonaut, an online program to bring social-emotional learning to more students. He received the Ashoka Fellowship as a leading changemaker in education and regularly speaks, trains, and writes for parents and teachers around the world. His book, Finding the Magic in Middle School, is about how we can use developmental science to understand and enjoy the middle school years much more, whether we're parents, teachers, or in the broader education world. And it will be released in September of 2022. Chris is currently in a Kickstarter campaign as he launches this new book. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more. Chris, welcome to The Third Place. We welcome you to explore The Third Place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging empowering, empowering, and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, David. It's so good to have you in the third place because I remember that one of the first conversations you and I had was talking about our vested interest in social and emotional learning and feeling like what, like, you have to be a little bit um, quirky to even be attracted to a space that feels very unknown and, and, and somewhat new and also pretty terrifying. So I love that we relate at that baseline level of having a curiosity with social emotional learning and you have taken it to the whole next level. So 
this is really exciting to have you here. Thank you. Well, just the name of this podcast kind of got me because I think, you know, my interest is so focused on adolescence and they are kind of the third place of life. You know, there there's a childhood world that I think we understand reasonably well and and feel more comfort with as adults. And then there's the complicated but familiar world of adulthood. But this in-between third place of adolescence is where we run into so many problems as parents and as a society, frankly. So yeah, I'm here. Let's roll. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, it's amazing how often that third place shows up, um, even just by naming it. it. It's, you know, it started in this uh, messy middle gray, what's what's black, what's white, and then how do we kind of bring those two worlds together? And can we search for truth in that space, just like we're searching for the black and white? To me, a lot of the third place is just that how to have awkward conversations. How do we bring in multiple perspectives, um, knowing that we have different backgrounds, different religions, all of the things, right? But bringing in this uh, posture or coming into the space with this posture of humility, of curiosity, of offering a generous perspective that uh, allows us to really see as best we can through the lens of someone else's experiences and, and then learn from that. But, you know, so much of it is like this awkward space. It's hard to do. So when I think about awkward specifically, I always go back immediately to my very skinny junior high, <laughs> yep, <laughs> um, entering puberty, having locker room talk for the first time, and I'm not quite like trying to catch up, and <laughs> just that's middle school. I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard a story of any one person who is describing a middle school experience that's not awkward in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. So I think I'm with I you. think you you just live in the third place all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I think I I love that awkwardness. Is to me the awkwardness is is the flip side of rapid change. You know, anytime mm. you're changing that fast, it's going to be awkward because your body is different literally day by day. What you can see in the re- relational social world is changing day by day. Your intellect is changing and growing day by day. So awkwardness is just the byproduct of really the, the last big time of major brain growth in our lives. So that helps me balance <laughs> the two forces. <laughs> Yeah. And so you've been attracted to this middle school time of life. Like, can you give some context to our listeners about what you've done in this realm or, or with this demographic to date? Yeah. Yeah. That, so the through line for me is that I think middle schoolers are the ultimate underdogs in life. You know, they they are told that they're hormonal. And we as a society just think we just try to get through these years as fast as we can and hope that we're not too damaged. And that's an incredibly low bar for what we also know is truly one of the most transformative parts of our lives. So I kind of ended up in this sideways, um, first by having a not so great middle school experience myself, which I thought was just totally normal. You know, I hated it and I thought that everybody hated it. And that's just what this is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it took quite a few years after, you know, well into college when I started to scratch my head on that one and think, is it really normal that we all think this is traumatic? Mm. Really? So that kind of started a whole journey for me that led me to be a middle school teacher. And from teaching, ended up starting a program to help middle schoolers basically reconnect with a love of learning um, through uh, the idea of apprenticeship. Whole other story there. 
And then the craziest thing was to actually start a middle school and spend about uh, the last 10 years on that project, uh, designing one, launching one, leading one um, here in San Francisco and learning so much uh, in that journey. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, like, I, I don't, I've, you're the only person clearly that I've met that's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to start a middle school. That's <laughs> <laughs> there are only a few of us crazy enough to embark on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How often you guys get together every year? I think it's like <laughs> yeah. the three of how you are on a big text. Yeah, exactly. All three of us gather. <laughs> so I would love to hear more about your middle school experience. Like, are there any stories that I'm sure people always want to like take us into middle school, Chris, like what was the experience? And, and how did, in your college years, like, what what did you remember? What was the visual? What were the feelings? Yeah. I mean, for me, th- there wasn't an active, like, trauma. I wasn't bullied, but I was lost. I think that's the essence of it. Um, I, I didn't know how to make friends. It was all a total mystery to me. I watched other people do it, and it seemed like some type of black magic that was going on. Um <laughs> And I didn't care about the academics. They didn't seem like they mattered. And I did I did well enough, but it didn't seem worth investing myself in. And and I, I feel bad saying this now that I know middle school teachers and I know how hard they work. Um, but I, I don't remember any of my middle school teachers. I can't even tell you their names. Hmm. And it, it just felt like being kind of passed through, you know, it's a cliche to say, but kind of the assembly line of that school. And, and into the first part of high school, I still had that feeling um, until kind of by luck, I came upon some actual friends, people who I genuinely connected with and made me feel like I was a human becoming something. And I just kind of clung on to them, I think, for dear life to try to figure out who I was becoming. And then I went to college thinking, whatever I do, it's got to be as distant as possible from the education system. It's like, enough of that. <laughs> and of course, like we were saying before this never started, whenever you say never, you know it's coming back around. And so, yeah, four years after that, there I was in a middle school classroom. Yeah, wow. wow. I Wow, I mean, I, I relate so much to the, even just the the story and, you know, and the awkwardness that I felt and the and the lostness and trying to find my way. And then eventually for me, it was um, Boy Scouts that and I had I, I think was very lucky in that I had a very, very good boy led troop that with some very good adult supervisors um, that gave me the space to step into leadership. And, and the words that I would use today are step into who I was. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know it. Yeah. Um, so you, you led with this question that like drove you to the work that was it really this traumatic experience for everyone? Was that true? Like, did you, how did you keep asking that question and what did you find from other people? You know, for me, I think it came from in college wondering what on earth I wanted to do with my life and thinking of all kinds of things that felt like they had some sense of purpose and then just continually distilling that back to in my mind, like any meaningful change you want to make in the world comes back to kids. They're the ones who are most open. They're the ones who will be here the longest. Um, And so I I kept coming back to education kind of intellectually. And then gradually, I I actually brought my emotional self back to it and wondered, you know, I've, I've been basically trying to bury my middle school self. But what if I unearthed this person and asked them what they thought? 
And that's been, frankly, an ongoing dialogue <laughs> for the last 20 years of being in this work. And, you know, as a teacher, as a school leader, then as a parent, you know, that middle school self keeps coming back with things to say. Um, and, and that's often where I find, you know, inspiration and a chance to get away from the, the policy talk and the things that adults worry about more to what the kid experiences. Mm. Do you find, or has it been your experience that you said, was it traumatic? And that then you also said it, it wasn't necessarily traumatic. It was like you were passing through or like, um, yeah, just like on like, the assembly line, on the assembly line. When I think about that, when I think about times that, um, I felt like they weren't necessarily traumatic when I re- look back at it, but I don't remember it. I realized that I was so distracted by other stressors or, or like physical things in my body or in my head that I can't even remember or put tangible, uh, like visions to things because there's just so much going on. So, and that to me feels like it registers as trauma, whether it is or, or it isn't. So is that like, from working with middle schoolers for so long, do you think it's just the complexity of how many things it's the, the emotional state, it's the physical state, it's the changes? Like, is that what the shared trauma is, is just the complexity of all of the things coming together at this one concentrated amount of time? I think it's that. And it's that we, I think we're often missing the point of what middle school is all about. Uh, you know, it, when I look at the brain science, I see some of the most remarkable findings are that we become intensely social at this age. It's like even down to the granular things like middle schoolers are much better at understanding facial expressions and they're much more reactive to them than elementary schoolers. Hmm. They're really tuning into the social world and they're kind of, they have to recreate their identity now as a social being. And you kind of think of, you know, like a third or fourth grader is happy being totally goofy and quirky, and they have no idea that anyone's judging them for that, you know, at least for most. A sixth or seventh grader is in a really different world. You know, they're going to remember if they wear the, the polka dot pants to school, and everybody notices that and comments on that. So it's that change, and it really is the best time in life to learn social intelligence. And that's one of the things that we should be teaching. It's what you actually remember you know, if you ask most people what they remember about middle school, they'll talk about relationships, you know, a friendship or a teacher I really trusted or a friendship gone wrong or a in-group, out-group thing. That's because that's what our brains are primed for. Uh, but it's not really what schools are primed for. So that's one of the big shifts that gets me excited. Yeah, well, being that you started a uh, middle school, how do you teach that social intelligence? Like, do, do you have a different approach then? I'm assuming uh, that you maybe would find it a traditional middle school, or how are we equipping teachers to be better um, situated so that they can be encouraging a really healthy version of learning social intelligence? Yeah. It, the first stop is exactly what you're doing in this podcast. It's like, how do you invite people to be vulnerable and authentic? And that's the kind of adult that middle schoolers need to be around. You know, they trust people who are weird because really weird means honest. Like yeah. if you're not weird, you're hiding something <laughs> I think, in general. Yeah. So that's the kind of adult we hire. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I went to Portland, Oregon, and they had bumper stickers and billboards and Asheville, North Carolina is the same way. And I, I think even Austin, Texas, where it just keep Portland weird was plastered everywhere over the city. And I remember leaving that uh, city for the first time. I'm like, okay, so if the city embraces weird, 
What's it like to go to junior high there? I'm really curious about that question. I love that. I've never thought about it that way. (laughs) Exactly. It's like they need to see comfort with identity experiments, comfort with having a quirky interest that you're just extremely passionate about. You don't care if it's cool or not. Like that's what gives them permission to try on different identities. And the more they try on, the closer they'll get to what is really authentically them. And that's where their power is. That's Mm -hmm. where they'll find you know, success and something to connect with others around, you know, genuinely. The word that comes up as you're talking about this is just like unapologetically like yourself. And I think that's so hard though, too, especially being, I'm sure as a leader of any sort is you're on your own path to discovery simultaneously while you're also having to um, be on the spotlight. So especially if there are teachers that are in that, path of discovery and and also like still accepting their weirdness how do you encourage them to tap into that while they're also like fake it till you make it sort of thing is there like are there any things that you do that help them absorb that and and be unapologetically themselves i I think the best thing is that we need groups of other people who are trying to do it too um You know, we have at Millennium School, the school I started, the advisory program is really the heart of the school. But the reason that works is that we, the adults, are also in an advisory program. And it's not highly structured. It's really just space to be in groups of adults who are willing to be real with each other. You know, how are you doing, really? Um, Personally, professionally, you know, invited to share as much as you want. And let's just be in this together. Yeah. So it's just, it's modeling. Like you're, yeah. it, it's less teaching and it's just being. And that's what kids are picking up. Yeah. So much though from, you know, I know nothing about the education system, right? So I can just come out straight with that. I'm like curious. It sounds like time or like there are some uh, traits of the environment outside of the community that would help them also like, I just think of charter in my head because of my experience going going to a charter school up until high school and how there was, from what I understand at a very uh, tip of the iceberg level, is that they had more uh, ability to translate what they needed to get done in their own unique way. Is that is that important or is there is that somewhat of the approach you took or is there anything else that you can add to that? You know, I, I think I've come to feel like the structure of the school, it, it does matter, but it's not really determining how effective cool. you are with this. You know, I've worked with public schools that do it really well and do it really badly and private schools do it well and badly. Same for charters. I, I think it's more the adult culture, you know, <clears throat> David, to your point about the modeling, that's the real curriculum of school. You know, kids are picking up adult mindsets and worldviews 100% of the time that they're in the building. And then once in a while, they'll remember some of the things we say, but that's like a trifle compared to the way that they just see us being in the world. And when I think about how my middle school experience was, uh, you know, so I'm uh, mid 40s and how middle school is today, obviously, those are two completely different worlds, too. Right. So one, my middle school experience meant I didn't have information in my pocket uh i had to memorize information or figure out how to get information right and and today it feels like so much of education is um needs to be about how we process information because information is readily available but which information is the right filter in and so there's like there's that experience that i just cannot relate to 
And then also on top of what you just said about how, uh, at the end of the day, I don't know where my question is with that. Like there's, they learn so differently because they need to learn so differently because we live in a different world. And also there is this, um, at the end of the day, what they're really learning is us modeling anyway. So it's kind of like this interesting tension for me that I see. You know, in a way you could think of that as letting you be really alongside them. You're trying to figure out the world of, you know, social media and incredibly available information of questionable quality and so are they. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the shifts when I talk to parents, you know, it's, you might have been more like a boss to them when they were young children, and you've got to somehow position yourself more alongside as a companion, you're still with authority, but more like the kind of wilderness guide you would hire if you were going out on a trek. That's, I think, who they need. So you went from starting and running a middle school to then now you have a, well, you're writing a book for one, and also you have a platform called the Argonaut School, right? So I would love to hear about what Argonaut is. And and I'm curious also, so this is twofold, what is it and what's the parents' involvement? Because I'm feeling like the understanding of the parents or the guardians or the trusted adults that it sounds like a lot of the work that you're doing actually is with middle schoolers through the trusted adults that are modeling around them. Yeah, exactly. So the idea of Argonaut is if your child doesn't have a great advisory program or a great, you know, scout group or someplace where they feel like they're in a safe group and they can talk honestly, uh, if they don't have that here is an opportunity to find that through an online group. And so we've brought kids together from so far four continents all over the U.S. Uh, it's been really, really interesting to see kids from across cultures and, and nations connect around the really similar experiences of being an adolescent. Um, and it's space to learn social and emotional tools and, frankly, just space to make sense of life together in a small group of 10 kids, all middle schoolers, one facilitator. Uh, and then the other side of that, to your point, is... Um, parents are really hungry for information about this age. You know, we tend to experience a high amount of terror when our kids are approaching puberty. And, you know, for good reason in the sense that there isn't, I think, nearly enough support. You know, if you think, uh, I know, David, you also have young kids and and so do I. It's like, there's a ton of resource around um, what to do, you know, with a two-year-old and what's going on developmentally and the stages and, you know, the six-month sleep regression, the two-year sleep regression. that's because it's a time of really high developmental change. Well, middle school is the next time of really high developmental change, but there's just not that much out there to guide us, you know, what to expect. So long story short, that's the book. (laughs) Yeah. It's the, the intention is to give parents that kind of what to expect if you're expecting, but for middle school um, so that they can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I can currently relate to that two year sleep regression. Uh, so <laughs> I understand how important those resources are. So yeah. <laughs> it's so good to know when they're up all night that there's some thought that that's normal <laughs> at this moment. Yeah. 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 So the book is like giving them a what to expect when they're expecting, which I think is just brilliant. And it feels like you're saying that it's like an underserved time of, of life for like, not just the middle schooler, but for those that are in relationship to the middle schooler. Um, what would be like your hope 
that someone would be able to do in like a really micro way to start to, so you said the podcast was like a good stepping point, but what to like start to try on for size, this way to connect beside the middle schooler, like, are there things that we can do, even if we're all parents of young children, is there anything we can start to do to, to try it on for size, despite if we happen to, I mean, I have a middle schooler in the neighborhood and she comes into my garage and I feel, I do, I feel that terror and I'm really attracted to that terror. And I would like to show up despite the fact that I don't have one yet for myself. Like what's something I can do? I think you just named it that middle schoolers are going through a process called individuation where they need other adults beyond their parents to be influences. You know, they've absorbed so much from their parents and they're curious about how to be in the bigger world. They'll find that a lot through peers, but they, they still need adults and other adults who are trusted, who are in the neighborhood, who, like I know you would, will make space for them to bring themselves however they are in that moment. That's number one. And maybe if I could offer one more, it would be to stay weird. <laughs> Back to what you were saying, <laughs> David. It's like, as parents and busy working people, it's easy to cut everything away other than job and parenting. Yeah. And that's super understandable. I struggle with that. But also, it's not to your kid's benefit if you've dropped all of the, you know, quirky passions and hobbies that we all have. Uh, they're going to need to see that. At least it will benefit them if they can when they get to that age. Hmm. Well, and I'd, I'd love to unpack a little bit more of the guide idea. I love the visual of the wilderness guide. Immediately, I'm thinking of like the Sherpas that help people climb Mount Everest, right? Yeah. And and they're necessary if you're going to make it to the top. It's it You cannot do it without their support. Uh, middle school can feel like that. Like if it's a version of Everest for that age. Um, I, I remember just like being younger and a lot of my friends have kids that are in middle school and there's like an interesting tension that I see. And I don't know if anyone really has an answer, but maybe the guide is the way to better say it. It's almost like parents are choosing to be either that boss and stay authoritarian or they become their best friend. And and I see like negative effects with both. And so can you unpack that and how guide fits in the middle of that? Or is that Definitely. accurate? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think those those are the mistakes. It's you try to still be their boss and then you have high friction. Um, you try to be a best friend and that might work for a while, but it, it really confuses things because the whole developmental window of that time is to learn how to have good peer relationships. Um, and I also see parents in the trap of withdrawal, where they're just saying, okay, you, you feel like you're wanting your independence, so all right, you're on your own now. Um, and that's really a mistake, too, because they still need us. Um, they just need us in different ways. Mm. So the idea of the guide is basically, you know, imagine you're going on a you know, two-week trek in the wilderness. Make the job description. You know, who would you want with you? What would their personality be like? And then give that to yourself. <laughs> there is your job description. You know, the guide still has authority. The guide has more experience. But the guide recognizes they're not there to direct every moment of it. Um, if they're constantly warning you about things, that's going to be a really annoying guide to have. Um, they're going to only mention a danger if it's really present. Um, they're going to point out some things that they're in awe of. Uh, that's that's who we're called to be, I think. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. I'm already thinking about some of the things that I feel like I have absorbed and started to um, 
let myself fully be and not. And I think, and, and when I see it in others and just really relating to how weirdness is synonymous with safety too. Mm-hmm. Um, I am thinking about, so for my middle school years, I, I honestly, it doesn't awkward is not the first word that comes up. Um, so I can't relate in that way, but I, what I do remember is when it comes to these social interactions, I remember a lot of drama, um, like a lot of like maybe now that I know grief a little bit more, my first experiences of grief and having what felt so clear and aligned, like my elementary school friends are going to be my best friends for life, right? That feeling, that like certainty. And then suddenly that breakdown happening in front of you um, and feeling like a complete, utter lack of control so for me, it was more about the breakdown of relationships and then the rebuilding and that now, as I'm saying it out loud, feels like, wow, maybe there's a lot of grief that ex- is experienced in middle school years, too, because just, I think, transition in itself breeds that emotion, too. Definitely. Another reason that you need that space somewhere, advisory, scouts, wherever you find it, where you can process that. And Mm -hmm. there's an adult there who's not going to say, okay, here are the three steps to respond to grief, you know, instantly, but they're first going to make space to listen to it. They'll ask peers to bring their own empathy or experience in, and then maybe weave a tool in because there are good tools for it, but not to lead with that, not to try to fix someone's process. And that's, that's what it could be. Yeah. And, and when you were describing, you know, writing out that guide job description, I actually thought what you were going to say is that will help you find other guides to Mm. do it with you. Um, So not only could that exercise be helpful for me as I start to enter that, that age with my kids, but you know, it it makes me think about uh, writing it out and Mary, you probably would fit that description of your neighbor's kid. Right. And, and it helps me also to find other people that are being guides a little bit more. And, you know, how do I, uh, if we're all in the shared experience of, of, many parents that are having kids around the same ages to be kind of seeking out people that are fitting that job description of a guide a little bit uh, as people that you want to try to connect with, you know? Definitely. And, oh, the possibilities are so amazing when you go that road. It's, you know, something I think a lot about is how rites of passage are missing for adolescents. absolutely. Or they kind of, the ones that sneak in are not really intentional. So that's a perfect opportunity, you know, the amazing neighbor or the cool uncle that they see once in a while, but not often, you know, could that person help create an experience, you know, like a wilderness trip that becomes a family tradition. And, you know, when your kids are 13, then uncle so-and-so is going to take them on a trek or whatever it might be. Those moments are so good for adolescents. They, they kind of get a sense of meaning and where they are in their journey. You know, that's more than a middle school graduation, say, could offer. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me think, too, like, I, I think so often I hear from my fellow parents is like, oh, like we used to raise our our children in communities for a reason. And I feel like we've lost a lot of that. I have a, I, as I've kind of alluded to, I have a unique block where we, we joke that we're like the 1950s in this one block because we you know, they're knocking on the door, they're coming in and out. It's just this like fluidity. And there's a lot of adults that show up and you can know that you can walk away and they're all watching. So part of me feels like this sadness that we're trying to instill something that used to be 
just the way and that that would have created this advisory uh this advisory environment just naturally and that we're having to reinvent it now in the way that we live more organically in this time. Yeah. I think it takes intention and effort now where maybe I wasn't around in the fifties. Maybe it happens more (laughs) naturally. Who knows? Um, Maybe in a past life. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) I really want to know from your experience, is there a good like authentic depiction of middle school in media, be it a movie or a TV series that you've seen that you think like when you look at it, you're like, Oh my God, that is so, that is so middle school. It's an interesting question. Cause in some ways the answer is like, you know, yes, there are authentic descriptions of how terrible it is. <laughs> you know, like I was just noticing that Amazon, the, the book middle school, the worst years of my life, which is a best selling <laughs> book on Amazon is now getting made into a movie. And that felt oh so classic gosh. to me. It's like, yeah. that is the narrative. Right. And, and it's true. It often, they often are the worst years of life, but they absolutely don't have to be. And I don't know a good narrative that talks about what it could be. Well, you know, and that's why I brought out that Boy Scouts, because when you said your experience, my, and we started like, hey, this is awkward. I was there. I didn't like it. <laughs> but that Boy Scout experience was probably the most foundational part of my life and therefore one of the best parts of my life. And it, it really has set me up for who I am today. It's shaped everything about who I am today. So it's both the best and the worst is how I was processing that I didn't quite have the words for then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I absolutely don't think middle school is the worst time. I think it's just, it's misunderstood and it's an incredibly special developmental window to learn who you are around others. So Mm -hmm. if if you can work with that, you can really do amazing things and and set people up to be wise and savvy adults. So is there any one weird thing about you that you would want to share or maybe that your partner would say was weird about you. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I mean, one thing I'm constantly tinkering badly with new skills. And one of the things I really enjoyed about being a middle school principal was bringing my own tinkering into the school. Like I would bring a guitar and sometimes sit in the hallway. And it was really bad, really, really bad. I thought I'd inspire them by anyone can be better than this. Um, But it's that kind of like, I don't, I don't mind uh, showing the really, really imperfect sides, which are actually all the sides uh, (laughs) to middle schoolers or anyone else. So maybe I I love that. that. I love that. Well, clearly you can tap into humility. That's, that's (laughs) what I hear. And that's, that's so cool. I love that. So you're a tinker and you, try new things all the time, whether that perfectly imperfect, I dig it. That's it. it. That's it. Cool. As we move to a close, do you have any stories of times that you have witnessed a middle schooler um, be able to express that they're, they're able to know who they are like, or have some of that from the work that you've been able to do? Cause I imagine that those are also like, I feel like when you're starting something and you're doing things new all the time and you're in a space that's terrifying, you have to really anchor back into those those moments. Do you have any stories that mm. help you sleep at night? Mm. They don't keep you up at night? Oh, yeah, a lot. Um, the first one that came to mind when you asked that was a student who has really stuck with me and someone who struggled a lot at the beginning of middle school to 
figure out how to be around others, how to express himself, was extremely shy. Um, and I remember um, his eighth grade year, he decided to be part of the spoken word uh, project. And I vividly remember him walking up to this stage with the entire school there and it was complete silence and he stood there for a while and I honestly didn't know if he was going to just walk right off the stage or stick with it. And then he started speaking and he had created this thing, this vision of himself as a kind of ancient Greek hero who suddenly had shown up in modern day America and was so confused about what on earth is going on here. I've just been transported thousands of years into the future. And he told this whole story and it was so touching and so real. Like that, that was his journey. And now in eighth grade, finally, he was able to express it really powerfully and artistically. I will never forget that moment. It's like adults and kids were crying at the wow. end of this talk. I'm on the verge. I've got chills all over my body. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Well, you know, just as we close, um, I know that we've just scratched the surface, so people are going to know when your book will publish. And does it have a title? Yep, it's called Finding the Magic in Middle School. All right. So, and then when would it? When is the target published? Target is time? September first. Crossing okay. fingers. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and in the meantime, where can people connect with your work? Yeah, they can find me at chrisbalm uh, b a l m e dot com, uh, or the Argonaut program is argonaut.school. Chris, you're just the coolest, and you're so weird. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> right back at you. Here's to weirdness. Thanks for yes. having me on. Thanks, Chris. Be well. Third Place Podcast is produced by Podcast Publishing House. If you like what you're hearing, follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify, Also check out the episodes on our website, thirdplacepodcast.com, for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes. The Third Place is all about continuing the conversation, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Third Place Podcast. There you can check out our weekly co-host, Happy Hours, on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash thirdplacepodcast.